Yeah, go ahead and have a seat. So, something that uh, you may not know about me, I'm going to reveal something else about, about me today that maybe you don't know, some of you do, but I like to cook. And in fact, this week, I just kind of found some stuff in the fridge, threw it together, and Kim goes and asks me, she goes, what do you call this? And I go, I have no idea. And so I'm assuming it was good because she ate it and she actually went back for seconds, I thought. But uh, I have, sometimes in my life I've dreamed about being a chef, of thinking what it would be like and, and stuff like that. And actually I will admit that when I'm flipping through the channels, I will stop at the Food Network and I will actually choose to watch a show on the Food Network. And there's a show that I watch frequently and it's on quite a bit so you don't have another choice, but one of them, it's called Chopped. I don't know if you're familiar. So obviously, yeah, people know about that. So you know how that works. There's chefs that compete against each other, and there's like four of them to start with, and so each round, one is eliminated, and they're, I, they want to be the, the chop champion, and I think they get like $10,000 if they win. And then in the final round, you know, there's just two chefs, and they compete against each other. And they're given this basket of food that they're supposed to use every ingredient in that basket to prepare a dish with that but then with this they also have access to a fully stocked pantry so you there's eggs there's it cheeses flour spices pasta milk cream and bacon and I'm just getting in with bacon because that's all we we don't need to go any further than bacon really but there's also a professional kitchen which I'm sure a lot of us would like to cook in sometime because there's everything imaginable there's meat grinders ice cream makers there's pans of every kind there's a professional stove and a professional work area like it's it's a really nice thing to nice place to that you'd like to do that now it just happens that I have a basket up here of stuff in it so what I have in here is well I've got some cooked Sticky white rice. We probably think of something we could do with that. There is um, some dried morel mushrooms. So we probably figure out something that would that would all work together. And then this one's a little bit of a challenge, but everybody likes to eat these. But Girl Scout thin mints. So that's the, I'm sure you could figure out something to do with this. But then I've got one more ingredient in here that, well, it's anchovies. Yeah, what am I going to do with anchovies? What the, what the heck is that? What can I do with that? So today we're going to look at the story of Tamar. And there's several Tamars in the Bible. And this is the one that's actually found in Genesis. And uh, as you go through this story, you might be thinking kind of like this can of anchovies. What do I do with that? Now, if you remember a couple of weeks ago when I said we started this series, I said there's going to be a little bit of scandal in some of these stories. And I think this one is actually full of, of scandal, full of things that will make you scratch your head. Now this story, we find it in the middle of Joseph's life. We find it right, we are told about how Joseph is, is they, his brothers decide we're going to throw him in this cistern and then they come up with the idea to sell him and so they're going to sell him to the Midianites and they do sell him to the Midianites and then we see Tamar and then we see the story pick up of Joseph of um, Potiphar when he's sold to Potiphar in, in his life in Potiphar when he's, he's in his house and so you kind of right away you go at this what am I supposed to do with that like what is this story doing here now, it's where we find this is Genesis 38, 
We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 30. If you want to turn there, we're going to kind of be referring back and forth to, to that section of the, of the Bible. And I think the first place is to start is, is maybe in the story is Judah. Because Judah has a part to play in this story too. And if you remember, he was the son of Jacob. He was one of Joseph's brothers. In fact, he was the one that came up with the idea to sell Joseph rather than kill him. So they sold him to the Midianites. Let's begin in verse 1 of Genesis 38. It says, we, we read it. At the time, Judah left his brothers and went down to stay with a man of Adullam named Hira. There Judah met the daughter of a Canaanite man named Shua. He married her and made love to her. Then it goes on to tell us that he had three sons, Ur, Onan, and Shelah. And so why is this important? Why is this little bit, why am I telling this? And so I want to give you a little bit of a history lesson. So most of you know who Noah is, right? We all know who Noah, or most of us know who Noah is. Well, he had some sons, and one of his sons, his youngest son, was named Ham. And one night, Noah drank too much wine and went and passed out in his tent, and he passed out naked. And so Ham comes along, and he goes inside his father's tent, and he sees Noah naked, which right there is one thing, because in, in Old Testament times, he shouldn't have went into his tent without being invited. And so then, instead of just discreetly covering Noah up, Ham decided, you know what, this is pretty funny. My dad's sitting there laying naked. And so he goes and he tells his two brothers. And he says, hey, you should look at dad. It's pretty funny. Go look at this. So he, and, and his two brothers go, Ham, that's not funny. So they go and discreetly, they do what he should have done and cover him up. Well, Noah wakes up in the morning and he must have realized that he was naked. And he goes, well, how am I covered up? And so he figures out the story and puts it all together. And he th says these words to Ham. He says, curse be Canaan. The lowest slaves will he be to his brothers. And there's, it goes on and curses him a little bit more. But So you'll ask, well, we were talking about Ham. So who's Canaan? Well, Canaan is Ham's son. So the Canaanites who came from Canaan, whose father was Ham, are cursed for the rest of their lives. They're supposed to be slaves. And we see Judah marrying a Canaanite. So they're certainly not supposed to be spouses. They're supposed to be slaves. And later in history, we actually see the Israelites are told to just annihilate the Canaanites from the face of the earth. And they, and they don't do that either. But that's a story again for another day. So what was Judah doing, leaving his family, leaving his, uh, his good Israelite family, so to speak, and going to Canaan, and even then marrying a Canaanite and having children with her? And I would say it kind of, probably Judah's just following his own path. Maybe he's following his flesh a little bit, doing what he wanted to do. And I don't think he was being obedient to God. And it, has anybody in this room ever done that? Disobey God? I see a few people brave enough to admit it. There's a few more hands. Well, where do I start with that? Where do I start listing the stories of those times when I did something that God did? I knew God didn't want me to do it, that I didn't listen, that I followed what I wanted to do, that maybe even I thought that, you know what, my, my life will be better if I just want to do what I want to do, what makes me feel good. And only to find out that it really didn't, didn't work that well for me. You know, there was one time when, you know, like probably most of us, you're going to go somewhere, 
Like there was this one day I was going to go somewhere, and I just, you know, you get this feeling inside of you, and you just go, this isn't a good idea. This just something about, like, it just, I don't, it shouldn't be going here. Kind of goes against everything I know about God, everything I've been taught about God, everything I believe about God. And I get there, and I'm at th- this place, and then sure enough, sure enough, it, 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 it turned, planned out just like I felt this in my gut. I'm not going to go into any details about that, but what I can say is despite my disobedience to God, going against, going my will, God still had my back. He saved me from a lot of trouble that night. And we'll see in our story that God was part of this story too. And I want to say that that's not the end of Judah's disobedience. We've only reached just the beginning of this story. But right away, Judah's already disobeying God, not doing really what he's supposed to do. So let's look at verse 6. Read for a few verses. It says, Judah got a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, Sleep with your brother's wife and fulfill your duty to her as a brother-in-law to raise up offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the child would not be his. So whatever, whenever he slept with his brother's wife, he spilled his semen on the ground to keep from providing offspring for his brother. What he did was wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord put him to death also. Judah then said to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, Live as a widow in your father's household until my son Sheila grows up. For he thought, he may too die just like his brother. So Tamar went to live in, his fa- in her father's household. So what do I do with all that? that is, that's some weird stuff there, isn't it? That's like some strange stuff. Like, we, don't, we don't do things like that currently, do we? Like, we don't give a wife to the next brother to the next brother. Like, it just doesn't happen like that. Like, this is just weird to me. Now, and I also read this, and it's, you know, when it's, it's God's killing his sons, I go, did Judah not love his children? What I mean by that is, if you, some of you will remember this, but Proverbs 13, 24. There's other Proverbs, other th- sayings too, but it says, whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. So did Judah not discipline his children? Was, what did his oldest son do that was so evil that he deserved death? And then it, what his second son done, is that really, does that really deserve death? It's kind of weird, but it, does he really deserve death? And then Judith, Judith, we're told that Judith tells Tamar to go live with her parents again. Like, I'm not going to take care of you. Just go live with your parents. And that's kind of strange. But and then he says he's going to give his youngest son to her when he's of age, which he doesn't really plan to, so he's lying. But I wonder how much age difference is there. And then I think of our time, it goes, there's laws against that, right? Like, there's laws against that big age difference. And so... But let me give you, again, a little bit of history, a little bit of information. If we look at Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 6, and it says, If brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of her brother-in-law to her. The first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. So we see Judah kind of practicing what, what, I mean, what we're supposed to do, what they're supposed to do with that. 
And having a male descendant is really important to the Jewish family of this time. In fact, listen to this quote. Let me read this to you. It says, genealogies emphasize the importance of the family unit in Jewish culture. Traditional Jewish culture emphasized marriage between a man and a woman who were responsible for raising children and continuing the legacy of their family with the next generation. The Jews took seriously their responsibility to continue the line that would bring honor to their family name. But I see it kind of a problem here. I'm not seeing a lot of honor within this family. Like I'm not seeing where this, what honor they're going to carry on because one, Judah's married to a Canaanite. He's living in Cana. It says his son is evil. And then his other son doesn't fulfill his responsibility. So God says he's evil and kills them both. And the third one's too young to marry. And like I said, Judah's not going give to give that son to Tamar anyway. So he's lying. So what honor is in that family? I don't see a lot of family. But then again, I don't think my family's perfect either. Is anybody's perfect family perfect here? Is anybody's family not have what we would call maybe some skeletons in the closet? Some things that maybe we don't want to talk about? And it's been a while since we've mentioned the sign in the lobby, but it says there's a sign out there that says, no perfect people allowed. So who in this room doesn't have, like I said, something they don't want to talk about? Something that's maybe not very honorable to your family. Now, I was probably about 30 years old when I discovered, a, I was told a skeleton that was in my closet. I was told about a niece that I have that's really not, there's not a big age difference in, in my, I never knew existed in my family. But it's just saying that no one's perfect. No one's perfect except Jesus. And no one's family is perfect, including Jesus's family. It wasn't perfect. So yet God takes all of that in our lives and makes it part of our story. And he can make something from it. Now Tamar's story is where it kind of takes a real turn into the what I consider the bizarre and makes us really ask, what do I do with that? So we're going to look at, at verses 12 through 25 of Genesis 38 and just follow along. It says, some years later, Judah's wife died. After the time of mourning was over, Judah and his friend Hira, the Dulamite, went up to Timnah to supervise the shearing of his sheep. Someone told Tamar, look, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. Timnah was aware that Sheila had grown up, but no arrangements had been made for her to come and marry him. So she changed out of her widow's clothing and disguised herself with a veil to disguise herself. When, then she sat beside the road at the entrance to the village of Enam, which is on the road to Timnah. Judah noticed her and thought she was a prostitute since she had covered her face. So he stopped and propositioned her. Let me have sex with you, he said, not realizing that she was his own daughter-in-law. How much will you pay to have sex with me, Tamar asked. I'll send you a young goat from my flock, Judah promised. But what will you give me to guarantee that you will send the goat, she asked. What kind of guarantee do you want, he replied. She answered, leave me your identification seal and its cord, the walking stick you are carrying. So Judah gave them to her. Then he had intercourse with her, and she became pregnant. Afterwards, she went back home, took off her veil, and put on his, her widow's clothing as usual. Later, Judah asked his friend Hira, the Adulamite, to take the young goat to the woman and to pick up the things 
he had given her as his guarantee. But Hera couldn't find her. So he asked the men who lived there, where can I find the shrine prostitute who is sitting beside the road at the entrance of Enam? We've never had a shrine prostitute here, they replied. So Hera returned to Judah and told them, I can't find her anywhere. And the men of the village claim they've never had a shrine prostitute there. Then let her keep the things I gave her, Judah said. I sent a young goat as we agreed, but you couldn't find her. We'd be the laughingstock of the village if we went back again to look for her. About three months later, Judah said to Tamar, your daughter-in-law has acted like a prostitute, and now because of this, she's pregnant. Bring her out and let her be burned, Judah demanded. But as they were taking her out to kill her, she sent the message to her father-in-law. The man who owns these things made me pregnant. Look closely, whose seal and cord and walking stick are these? So like I said, what do I do with that? It gets, like I said, it gets worse. Like, it, it, this is strange again. In fact, I just think this is messed up. This is just messed up. And doesn't it seem like this, is, this story just is one bad decision after the next bad decision and another bad decision? So how's God going to do anything with this? How is he going to do something with this? But maybe in my life, how can I look at some of the things that I've done in my life, like, or even still doing, how can he do anything with that? That I just don't have this one can of anchovies in my basket. I've got a whole basket full of these. I've got a whole basket full. I have lots of those things that, that I don't know how God's going to do anything with it. But he does. Now, there's a scene in a movie that, I don't know, maybe you've seen it, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Has anybody seen that movie? It's Angela Jolie and Brad Pitt, a few of you. Well, they're hired assassins is who they are, and they're married, and they end up getting a job where they're hired to kill each other. And so they it just, I'm not going to say the whole movie, but the by the end of the movie, they're both sitting in the hallway of their house, and they're kind of comparing stories of all the skeletons in their closet, all maybe their, their cans of anchovies in their closet, the things that they've done and how they've deceived each other and their different jobs, jobs that they've done. And I just, I, and it kind of then made me think of this verse in Galatians 5, 19 through 20, where it says, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Now, maybe we do use those exact words nowadays. Maybe we use different words, like pornography. Maybe we, we, we lie, we cheat, we're deceitful a bunch of things in our lives that, that maybe we've done in our lives that how many of those things can we check off? Can we check off and cross that, that I'm guilty of? Probably more than I want to admit, more than maybe some of us want to admit. But all these cans of anchovies in our life that, that no one wants to have, really, but we do. And we don't know what to do with them. They just kind of weigh down on us. They're baggage to us. But I know someone that does. God can do something with that. Now, Tamar maybe didn't know what to do in her situation. She somehow knew this importance that she needed to carry on this family line of Judah. She knew that, that even being a Canaanite, that there was something important to this. 
So she takes matters into her own hands. And I read this passage, and I look, you know what? When some of her things, actions in her life, man, she just went and filled her, her basket with a whole bunch of anchovies. And now she, God's got to figure all that out. He's got to figure it out like sometimes we do in our lives. And God did know what to do with it. Just like he knows what to do with all those things in our lives. If we believe and we trust in him. We believe and trust in God. Now, I want to finish the story by looking at a couple verses. We're going to look at verse 26. It says, Judah recognized them and said, She is more righteous than I, than I since I wouldn't give her my son, Sheila. So here we're saying a Canaanite woman is more righteous than a Jewish man. Jewish man that's an Israelite. Jewish man that, that is an Israelite, and the Israelites are the chosen people of God. And remember, the Canaanites were cursed. So I find it interesting that, that here's a woman that is a Canaanite, a cursed woman that is saying that she is more righteous, seeing the importance of this male child to carry on Judah's family name. And I think God has a plan for all of us to be righteous. That I don't have to have a certain family that I come from, like Judah did, that I don't have to come from a certain background, that I don't have anything that you could think of, lots of things that I could come up with that, that maybe I would make up that would think would prevent me from this righteousness that God has for me. This righteousness that God wants us all to be part of God's family and that there is hope for me. Now verse 29 says, But when he drew back his hand, his brother came out and she said, this is how you have broken out, and his name was Perez. Now, this is just one, one verse out of when Tamar was having her, the, the twins that she had. And so I, I want to just read this verse because of the name of the child. The name of the child was Perez. And if you don't know the significance of that child, let me just give you a couple of verses to, to maybe make you see the significance of this. It says, The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nation shall be his. This is Genesis 49.10. Now, Tamar didn't know about this prophecy. This was after she was long gone, after she was dead. She didn't know about this. And if you're still kind of wondering about Perez, let me read you out of Matthew 1, 1 through 3. It says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron. It's kind of a long way to get to the point that Tamar's the mother of Perez, who is part of God's story, who is part of the story of Jesus. That God could use this messed up story, these, these messed up lives, and be part of his story, just like he can be, we can be part of his story. And just to fulfill all the prophecies that we know about Jesus, that prophecy in 49.10, that it can all go back to Tamar, this, these prophecies of Jesus. So I think just to, what does this mean for me? That, that answer to say, what do I do with that? Well, first one is that God keeps his promises. 
Now, we, last summer, I think we, we talked about Abraham. We talked about Abraham and the promises that God made to him that it, through him they'll make a, into a great nation that all the people of the earth will be blessed through him. It's not just the Israelites. It's for everyone. And God uses these sinful, deceitful, lying, conniving people like Judah and Tamar to be part of God's prophecy about Jesus, to be part of God's promises, just like us. These far from perfect people, that they're not all Jewish, they're not all Israelites, they're all people, all nations, all of us. And in fact, I looked this up, someone counted the promises that God has in the Bible, that God makes, and there's, there's like over 8,800 of them. If you want to look them up and read them, it's probably going to take you some time. But uh, these promises are for all of us. It doesn't matter about our past. It doesn't matter what we've done, what we're holding on to, that baggage. It doesn't matter about our current situation. Maybe we're living in, in a bad situation, making bad choices. Maybe we're, we're, regardless of how imperfect we are, regardless of what family I come from, regardless of where you live, regardless of well, pretty much everything, that we're all part of this promise. If we're willing to trust and we're willing to believe God's promises. On your handout, I've put a few, few of those promises on there that you could look up this week. But the next thing I think is, is God doesn't chop us. He doesn't chop us like in that, the, the cooking show, Chop, where you get sent home. Tamar's story, when I read this, this is a train wreck. This is a disaster. But we read this, this story, and actually God is only mentioned twice in this story too. And that's just to tell us how wicked the two sons were and how God killed them. Now, I, I read this story, and I also wonder, I was like, how come I look at Tamar and I look at Judah, and I go, well, why aren't they wicked? Why aren't they wicked? And this kind of story just seems kind of wrong and mixed up and and how come God doesn't chop them and I wonder also like when I think about it all those cans of anchovies in my life why doesn't God chop me well maybe these words will give you help us answer that question they come out of Romans 8 38 through 39 it says for I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because God loves me. He loves me that much that he would use messed up people like Tamar and Judah to be part of his story. He'd use messed up people like me thinking that I, all this wrong stuff that I've done in my life that I probably am thinking I deserve to be chopped by giving my life to Jesus, by believing in Jesus that all that stuff, kind of like Judah and Tamar, maybe all the stuff that some of us in this room right now or some of us in this room have had, that my life was a train wreck. But wondering, you wonder, what can God do with all that? Well, he does a lot with it. He can do a lot with it if we let him. If we accept this love that he has, if we accept... Actually, this greatest gift of love that he gave us is Jesus, and we believe in him because God doesn't chop us. And also, I want to say, don't chop yourself. 
because a lot of us chop ourselves. Now, the last point I want to make is God knows what to do with that. He knows what to do with that. Because as I said, I've been saying, God gave us Jesus, and that's how he knows what to do with that. All that stuff in Tamar's life, all that stuff in our lives, God's ex- God extends his grace to us. God gives us something that we, we don't deserve that. He provides a way for us to restore this relationship with him. Now, the life of Tamar, like I've been saying, it, it shows us that God welcomes all of us because her life was a mess. She wasn't an Israelite. And through God's son, Jesus, he welcomes all of us. Jesus knows what to do with that in our life. Jesus took all of that stuff on the cross, forgave us to restore our relationship to God. I want to look at one last passage. It's out of Romans 3, 21 through 26. So just listen, listen along. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as he was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We were made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standards. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with Jesus when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life. Shedding his blood, this sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just. He makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Our lives might look like, like Tamar's just riddled with one bad decision after another. But these verses I just read to you, verses 23 through 24 especially, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. Judah was part of this story. Tamar was part of this story. We can be part of this story if we choose to believe. Believe that God can do something with all that stuff, all those anchovies in our lives that nobody knows what to do with. Nobody wants to probably do anything with them. This passage tells me that, that when we believe in Jesus, we're made right with God. And everybody, it's, everybody can believe in Jesus, regardless of what skeletons you have in your closet. The story of Tamar, that's a skeleton really in Jesus' closet. And I think it's to show us that God can use imperfect people to make something perfect because Jesus is perfect. And God used imperfect people to be part of that story. So what about our lives? Do you have something carrying around that you carry around right now wondering what can God do with that? I'm going to say give it to him. Just give it to him. Because he knows what to do with that. Let's pray. Lord, I, 
I think all of us, I know all of us in this room, Lord, we have, we have stuff in our lives, Lord, that we're not proud of. 